As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. DeAndre Swift's breakout, Juju Smith-Schuster in trouble, and a look at Week 7 waivers on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. Hello everyone, welcome into Fantasy Football in 15. It is Monday, October 19th. We are just about done with week six of the NFL season two Monday night games ahead of us. Bills and Chiefs kicking things off this afternoon and then the regularly scheduled Monday night game between the Cowboys and the Cardinals to wrap up week six. So two more good games after what was a fun weekend. I am Michael Beller. I am joined, of course, by Derek Van Riper. Here we are, DVR, just about done with week six, almost at the halfway point of your typical fantasy football regular season flying by here this year. Flying by indeed, and there have been no shortage of surprises in the NFL this season. Yeah, that is definitely true. One I think was maybe a little bit of a surprise in week six, at least in the way that it happened, but we were always expecting the DeAndre Swift breakout at some point this year. We were expecting that he would eventually take over the Detroit backfield in a way that made us confident about starting him in fantasy leagues and DVR. It appears that that happened in week six. DeAndre Swift, 14 carries for 116 yards, two touchdowns in the Lions win over the Jaguars. Didn't make much of an impact as a receiver, but did get four targets in that game. We saw the big playability on a 54-yard run that he had uh, in one of his first carries. I can't remember if it was his, real, his literal first carry, but it was one of his first you know, two or three carries just breaking away and ripping off a 54-yard gain. At this point, it feels like he should be in control of the Detroit backfield. What are your realistic expectations for him going forward for the rest of the year? I think whether it's Adrian Peterson or on Johnson, there's going to be somebody there taking at least a mm-hmm. decent share of the workload. And by decent, I mean like a quarter of the touches. Uh, so it's a near even split in carries in a very run-heavy game script for the Lions, You know, having a 17-3 lead. But this is something you called going into the weekend. Maybe coming out of the bye week, this was going to be the opportunity for Swift to really take over. Clearly, with the draft capital they invested in him, they shouldn't have even waited this long. I think this is a sign of things to come. I think Peterson's work was really concentrated on the early drives. I think he had the the score on the first drive for the Lions. Yep. Uh, but 
from that point forward, it was really more of like 67-33 or 75-25 favoring Swift kind of after that first drive. That makes sense to me. I don't really know why they signed Peterson in the first place because I think Carrion Johnson is a perfectly competent, complimentary back at this point. So uh, I think Swift is probably an RB2 most weeks because he gets the passing down work anyway. So if you get into a situation where the Lions have to air it out a lot more, he's going to be on the field. Someone like Adrian Peterson is not. And I think we're seeing that change in how they're distributing carries in obvious run situations now as well. Yeah, we're in agreement here. I think he could be a top 20 back for the rest of the year. I would be surprised if he were a top 15 or certainly a top 12 or top 10 running back the rest of the way for the reasons you said, right? He's not going to have 100% of this backfield. He's not going to have 80%, I don't think, of this backfield. But he can have, I think, 70 75% of the backfield. What else could be frustrating is that he might not have total ownership over a short yardage and goal line roll, right? So he might be losing some touchdowns to one of Adrian Peterson or on Johnson, if not both of them. So that's going to be frustrating. You're going to have some weeks where you're shaking your fist at Daryl Bevel and Matt Patricia, and maybe we see something akin to what we've seen with Daryl Henderson, where he has been the clear best back for the team, but the Lions just aren't going to treat him like a workhorse. But even knowing that those frustrations are probably looming at some point over the rest of the season, with what we saw from him in week six, got to believe that he is the guy for the Lions and does have that feeling of being a running back two for the rest of the year. So that by low window, definitely slammed shut. I think a sell High or high-ish window probably opened up with this Week 6 game, but still, I wouldn't be out there trying to trade DeAndre Swift unless someone was treating him as a RB1 or very high-end RB2 because I do think that that's, you know, you're going to get just a little bit less than that for the rest of the season. What we saw in Week 6 definitely felt real to me. Something else that felt real to me, Derek, were the struggles that we saw from Cam Newton. Now, obviously, there's a lot of caveats to this, right? The Patriots have had uh, very little practice over the last couple of weeks because of their COVID-19 issues. Of course, one of the players who had that was Cam Newton himself. So uh, his practice has been probably even less than what the team's practice has been as a whole. But it's not like his performance against the Broncos was some isolated incident. That uh, performance against the Broncos completed 17 of 25 passes for just 157 yards, 6.28 yards per attempt, two interceptions, and what went down as a very surprising 18 to 12 loss to the Broncos in this game. And Cam Newton has really gotten it done this year as a runner, but not so much as a passer. And that's what has me concerned about him uh, for the rest of the season as a fantasy player. We are now talking three games, Derek, in four starts where Cam Newton has thrown for 162 yards or fewer. Three out of four in this modern day NFL. That is big time red flag, if you ask me. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, this group of pass catchers isn't great. That was one of the concerns we had about Tom Brady in recent years, and uh, Julian Edelman was really quiet in this game. Two catches for eight yards on six targets. You know, Nikhil Harry had two targets. Uh, James White actually led this team in receiving eight for 65 on nine. You don't really want an offense that's built that way, and outside of Newton running, they didn't run the ball well at all. So this is a New England offense that has a lot of questions to answer yeah, maybe some of the mispractices are, are to blame, but I think you got to tip the cap to the Denver defense for going in with a good mm-hmm. game plan. It felt like every time this game came up on the Red Zone channel, short of the trick play that uh, led to Newton catching a pass <laughs> in this game, it was Cam Newton running for his life and the Denver pass rush getting pressure. I mean, Cam was sacked four times on just 25 attempts, so 
he was under constant duress and you know some of the blame can fall on him but I think some of this is going to fall on Josh McDaniels and just the overall lack of talent around him right now in this Patriots offense. Yeah, our buddy Jake Seeley likes to talk about the group of quarterbacks that includes uh, Drew Brees, Jared Goff, Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford, guys like that who have to do everything with their arm, which can be a fantasy detriment uh, in this day and age when you have so many quarterbacks who are dangerous with their legs who can add value that way. Cam Newton so far this year feels like the reverse. If he isn't running for a touchdown, he's not giving you anything in the fantasy world. So I don't think by any stretch of the imagination he is locked in as a fantasy starter the rest of the way. On the other side of that game, we saw a big performance out of Phillip Lindsay in his return. 23 carries for 101 yards. Now, the caveat here is that Melvin Gordon didn't play. Strep throat was the diagnosis for Melvin Gordon. That's why he uh, mispracticed on Friday and then ultimately was inactive for this game. He's going to be back. And while Philip Lindsay had, did dominate, or not dominate, but led the backfield in week one, we go back to his first game of the season before he suffered the turf toe injury and then had this game uh, 101 yards on 23 carries. We know that there's still going to be some sort of timeshare split between these two backs. I feel like it's enough that both of them, if you have, as long as you have one, you're going to feel comfortable starting them. But obviously, they're going to get in one another's way to the point where it's probably going to be RB2 or flex production. And you're not really going to be looking at either of them as an RB1 style of player. No, I think that's the problem, right? You're going to have two guys that when they're both available, they hover between that RB2 flex range, and it's going to depend a lot on game script. The weird thing about the Week 6 outcome for Philip Lindsay was that he wasn't that involved as a pass catcher. It wasn't a situation where Denver was throwing it a ton, but still, it was a good game, and, and for the, the price that he was in DFS and you know the simple fact that he basically had the backfield to himself with a little bit of Royce Freeman sprinkled in, I thought Lindsay overall looked really good, especially with the injury he's coming off of. Turf toe can be the type of injury that really changes the way a player looks when they come back from it. He looked like himself, and that's a really good sign, even if it's going to be a messy backfield now for fantasy owners to deal with. Yeah, we'll check this out next week, of course. Uh, Melvin Gordon should be back for the Broncos in Week 7, so we will get a good feeling for how they're going to use both of these backs. Really the first time, at least, that we expect to see them both all year. Again, go back to Week 1 when Lindsey had that turf toe. It was just half a game that he played before he left, so this should be our first real look at the Broncos uh, with both of those back backs active. And uh, again, Bears repeating, Philip Lindsey was the guy who led that backfield in everything way back in Week 1 before he suffered the turf toe injury. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Derek, something else that caught my eye in week six was the continued lack of production from Juju Smith-Schuster. Two catches, four targets, 
six yards. And this was a game where Deontay Johnson didn't play. Meanwhile, Chase Claypool had a decent day receiving, had another rushing touchdown in this game. I think it is really time to be pushing the panic button on Juju Smith-Schuster after what we've seen now for a couple of games running here. It's crazy, right? I mean, I, I thought what we saw with Juju two years ago was an ascendant future number one, a possible top five receiver just based on the overall body of work from 2018. I mean, 111 catches, 1,400 yards, seven TDs. You have to be a good player to do that even if you have yes. someone else drawing attention away. And that someone else, Antonio Brown, was, of course, gone last year in Pittsburgh. And aside from that, Juju was hurt and the quarterback situation was bad. This has all of the characteristics of an actual buy-low trade target sort of situation, right? I mean, Claypool can't take all of the targets, and the other options like Deontay Johnson, James Washington, Eric Ebron, you don't really see any of those guys stepping up into such large roles that you'd bump Juju down to third status. So even if it's now a Claypool-led group of pass catchers, you kind of wonder if that becomes a good thing for Juju. You know, if it's just kind of a, an off week in terms of volume, and I don't know, six, eight, five, five, and uh, the, the targets haven't been completely gone week to week. They've just been less than we expected. So you look at the upcoming schedule. Tennessee's actually been more of a, a generous defense to opposing receivers. There's some shootout potential there. Tough matchup coming up in week eight against the Ravens, but another good shootout potential in week nine with Dallas. So I think there's a window here to go ahead and take on that chance. Maybe the ceiling's not as high as we once thought, but man, it's been a tough ride for Juju Smith-Schuster managers to this point because I thought he was a set-and-forget sort of player, and now you're kind of second-guessing yourself if you've got him lined up to play any given week. All right, thankfully, week six looking like a pretty calm injury week. There were some uh, some big names who left the early games because of injury. Two in Philadelphia, Miles Sanders with a knee injury, Zach Ertz with an ankle. And we had Johnny Smith leave Tennessee's win over Houston with an ankle injury. Devontae Parker left with a groin injury. Could be something where he didn't come back because the Dolphins had that game well in hand. And then Mark Ingram also left Baltimore's win over the Eagles with an ankle injury. I want to spin that into a quick, 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 quick look at week seven win. Waivers, Derek, because we talk about Zach Ertz, we talk about Miles Sanders, probably the two best pass catchers along with Travis Fulgham in that passing game. If one or both of those guys, and especially Ertz, is out, I look right to Philadelphia for Week 7 waivers. Travis Fulgham, still more available in more than 50% of leagues, both Yahoo and CBS. And then Dallas Goddard, who everyone has seemed to forgot about, making his way back from IR, could be activated as soon as next week, and could be someone who steps right from IR into fantasy starting lineups if Ertz is out. Those are the the two guys who I am looking at, at least in early waiver discussions. Yeah, we'll have to see if any of the other receivers there end up coming back from their respective injuries because that's the other sort of complicating factor. But Fulgham, you know, it was a lot of late production against the Ravens, but he got there. Ten targets, six for 75 and a score. This looks real. And we've been talking about Elshon Jeffrey as a guy that when he comes back, he might not have the role we expected. I'm in on Fulgham at this point. I don't think there's anything else he needs to show me to prove that he belongs in lineups on a regular basis. 
Someone else who I would recommend taking a look at at the wide receiver position is Tim Patrick. Put up his second straight 100-yard game for the Broncos. He has done it alongside the other receiving options on that team. Noah Fant did miss this game as well. He's now done it with different quarterbacks. Brett Rippon for his first 100-yard game. Drew Locke for his second 100-yard game. So maybe Tim Patrick is someone who is showing us that he has an ability to be a consistent fantasy deliverer. Three or two touchdowns also. Over his last three games, he has two touchdowns and to 100-yard game. So Tim Patrick, someone also that you're going to want to consider in your Week 7 waivers. Thank you for considering us here on Fantasy Football in 15. We're going to wrap things up here, but of course, this is just the start of a busy Week 7 week ahead of us. We've got four more shows coming at you. The first of those, back with you right here tomorrow. For DVR, I am Michael Beller. Until we chat with you again, thanks for listening, and enjoy those two big Monday night games tonight.